Let's take our Bibles this morning, if you will, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. When you get there, uh, hold your place and then uh, turn with me to Matthew 24. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and Matthew 24. Let me say once again, it's good to have everybody back. Uh, we still have a few folks that have not been able to come back yet because of some underlying health reasons. Uh, we've got, I think, three families that are still out uh, that normally come. And uh, so pray for them, if you will, that God will bless there and uh, allow either the coronavirus to get over or for uh, them to get in the health uh, that they can be able to be here and be faithful to the services. And um, Matthew chapter 24, we'll begin reading in verse number 3, and <coughs> we're going to be reading in chapter 24 uh, regarding the end time events, and certainly uh, the Bible refers to um, the day of the Lord, uh, sometimes referring to His second coming, sometimes referring to the group of uh, end time events uh, together generically. And I want us to read down through several verses, uh, beginning in verse number 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. That's a key verse. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars, and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes, in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Help us to be comforted by the words that you give us in Scripture, and yet to learn from it the things that you intend for us to gather from these things. Lord, I pray that in the day and the hour that we live that we will be more sober-minded than we have been before, that we will walk more circumspectly in understanding the, the times and the, the world that we live in. And then, Father, that we will be sensitive to you, the leading of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And Father, that you would help us in these last days to be diligent, to be awakened, to be fervent, to have a zeal to accomplish your work in this world while there is yet time. We pray that you'll bless the service and fill us with your power. We pray for the next few moments that you will help the distractions that may cause our minds and hearts to wander to be put to the side, that they would uh, not, uh, not linger upon us, and that we could find in our hearts the time to set perfectly aside to understanding your word. And so, Father, help us and grant that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
we find here that uh, Jesus is speaking about the end times and the last days. And uh, we can read some of these verses and find that uh, they are very much like some of the days that we're living in. I've said so often before that uh, uh, I believe we are living in the last moments of the last days. That being said, so have many other men down through history. And I want to say all of this, that while God does give us indication in Scripture of things that will mark the, uh, the beginning of these sorrows, the beginning of these end-time events, He also tells us this, that no man knows the day or the hour. Uh, it's amazing how much money has been made by authors by writing on books saying this is when the Lord is going to come back. And or this is when the earth is going to end, and uh, there's an awful lot of that, and people get wrapped up in it. Uh, how many of you remember the 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 Y2K thing that happened around the millennial turn? You remember that? I mean, we had preppers coming out our ears, and they were doing everything they could to stockpile. And boy, this is the beginning of the end. Um, I've heard men talk about the fact that uh, from uh, the beginning of um, uh, of the world until the flood was about. Uh, 2,000 years, and then from uh, the flood to Christ was about 2,000 years, and from Christ to now is about 2,000 years, and then they pull in the Scripture about the 1,000 days, years being as a day, and um, a day being as a 1,000 years, and they talk about how that we're entering into the seventh day of history, if you will, and um, that that was the day that God rested, and I can understand, and that would be certainly in line with God's perfectness, wouldn't it? It certainly makes good sense. But the truth is, the bottom line is, the Lord Jesus Christ said, No man knoweth the day or the hour. And I'd far rather take the Bible's word on it than to try to speculate into it something that maybe we can find. Uh, if it happens to be that way, I think it's just a, a sign of God's perfectness. If it doesn't happen to be that way, then I think it still is a sign of God's perfectness because He says, No man knoweth the day or the hour. But one thing that I do find is Jesus, as Jesus deals with end-time events, several times he speaks of the fact that we are not to be fearful of those things, neither are we, are, are also we are to be comforting one another with these things. Look with me, if you will, now to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, and we'll begin reading in verse number uh, 13. 1 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. By the way, let me just stop here for a moment and take just a brief sidestep, and then we're going to come right back. Can I tell you this, that as God's people, we should never grieve as people who have no hope. And when it comes to the death of God's saints, and we uh, see folks that are saved and on their way to heaven that perish from this life, can I tell you this, that while there is sorrow because we love them, there ought never be sorrow of the fact that they've died. For to be absent from the body, the Bible says, is to be present with the Lord. And how in the world could we sorrow with them? If anything, we're sorrowing for us that we didn't get to go to. I don't know about you all, but I'm getting jealous of some of these people. I'm ready to go, and I'm thankful God gives us time here on this earth, but I'll be honest, if the rapture happened before we got out of this service today, I'd be tickled pink. This would be wonderful. 
and uh, I'd get up there to heaven, I'd be skinny, I'd have hair, and I'd feel better. Oh, I'd feel so much better. But you know what would be great? wouldn't be about my physical shape or my hair or the fact that I feel better or that all tears are wiped away from my eyes. But I would get to see my Savior. Oh, my. Can you imagine? My dad passed away a number of years ago. And uh, he had missed maybe a handful of services in his lifetime pastoring from being sick uh, or having a surgery or something. And uh, I thought, you know, his first Sunday in heaven, when it came around, I thought, I wonder what he's doing. He's not going to know what to do. He's not running around getting ready for the sermon. He's going to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. Could you imagine that first moment in heaven? And I would say this that Paul writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we're not to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that we sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Because if anybody has hope in this world, it's those of us. And it's not a hope in the sense of saying we wish. It's a hope that is built on faith that we know is going to happen, and we're hoping it comes really soon. Uh, so this is what Paul is speaking about here. Now, notice he says this, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And that's what I'm praying for. I don't want to go in death. I don't like the process of that. I was talking to my mom the other day, and a very dear friend, mutual friend of hers, mine, that is not doing well physically. And I said, my fear is uh, we're not going to get to go in the rapture together. Uh, we're going to probably have to say goodbye to him in this life. But I'm thankful that it will not be long, and we'll all be there. Shall not prevent them which are asleep, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. <coughs> Notice this. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. When that rapture happens, I'm out of here, I'm up there, and I will never be absent from the Lord again. That's a, that's a promise that He has made in Scripture. And so he says this, uh, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And Paul said it this way, Wherefore, noticing this, knowing that we're never going to be separated from the Lord ever again, noting, knowing that we're never going to be separated from our loved ones ever again, he says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know the, the, the thought of heaven, whether by death or by rapture, is a comforting thought. It's something that even Christians can rejoice in in times of death. Those that have gone to sleep, those that have uh, gone on before us, we can still joy through our sorrow because we have hope that we will be reunited one of these days and heaven is far better than this. Can I tell you this, that these times that the Bible speaks of are going to happen. And I believe they're going to happen in my lifetime. Now, if you disagree with me on that, that is fine. That's my belief. I'm not going to tell you what the Bible uh, that the Bible says that it will happen in my lifetime because the key thing is to know this, the day and the hour knoweth no man. We don't know. With that thought in mind, I want to give you two things today. We're living in some very trying times. 
A lot of people are asking questions. Is this it? Are, are these, is this the beginning of the end? I'll tell you one thing that I saw uh, through the whole uh, shutdown and lockdown. We began to do some live streaming, or we had been doing live streaming, but we continued to do live streaming. We started doing a morning uh, time on our live stream. And it was amazing to me how many people began to start watching the videos of our services and tuning in, and people that I had never even heard of before. Some of them I don't know. It's amazing to see how many people through this have at least been awakened to some degree to put their minds on the, on the fact that, well, what happens after this life? It seems like all of a sudden God put something in place that caused man to, to stop his hectic and his busy schedule where we tend to feel like we're immortal and that, that day of death is never going to come. It seems to have put the brakes on mankind for a few moments and allowed us to say, but wait a minute, there's going to be an eternity for me somewhere and people have begun to consider this. I was talking with someone just a few weeks ago and I believe that this very could, easily could be if this is the time of the beginning of the end where God is going to come back and rapture us away and perhaps even in my lifetime, this very well could be God's final wake-up call. This very well could be God coming and saying, one last time, I'm going to give you opportunity and this time I'm going to calm your life down enough that you at least take the time to think about it. Now, it may or may not happen that way. I don't know and I don't want to put a date or a time. What I do know are the two truths that we're going to give you today because the truth of the matter is, Christ is coming again. And we certainly know that. We certainly know that His coming is imminent. There is nothing that has to happen for the Lord to come back. It could happen this very moment. And we look forward to that. By the way, it would do us well to live our lives every moment of every day as if He's coming back in the next second. I'm fine with planning. I'm fine with thinking long-term and setting vision and goals as if He's not going to come back. But when it comes to our way of living and manner of life, we must live as though He's coming back this very moment. Now, I want us to look at a couple of things here that based on the fact that we as God's people know that the end is going to happen. And, and by the way, if it doesn't happen in the rapture, it's going to happen by the end of our life. But one of the ways it's going to happen for all of us that are sitting here in our lifetime, we're going to eventually meet the Lord. Now, I want us to notice this, two things based on that truth. The first one is found in Luke chapter number 12. If you'll take time to turn over there with me. Luke chapter number 12, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 15. Let's back up to verse 13 a minute. And one of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and, all, and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, 
thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on it. The life is more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Now, I want to just say this, that we, if we're not careful, we'll get in the mindset of putting the thoughts of eternity behind us. In fact, many times we go through our day never thinking about eternity. We go through our life thinking, what can I do today to help me today or to help me a week from now or to help me by the end of my life to increase my level of comfort, to be able to be successful, to be able to pay my bills and care for my family. And while I do believe that a man ought to take care of his family and ought to work hard in this life, we cannot do it without considering eternity. And it ought not to come to the place where the things that we value and the things that we hold most dear to our lives are things that are relatively physical things to this life. But they must be the things of eternity. They must be uh, the things that we count very dear to us. Because we have learned here in Luke chapter number 12 that we do not have the guarantee of another day. There's not another moment, there's not one second of this day's time that we have a guaranteed written statement that I'm going to survive that second. We live so uh, oblivious to this thought, don't we? Now, I'm not saying to be a pessimist. I'm not talking about going around uh, depressed all the time. That, oh my, I could die right now. But I am saying this, we need to live in light of eternity. We need to be thinking of laying up treasures not on this earth, but we need to think about laying up some treasures in heaven. Now, with the fact that we know that not one day is guaranteed to us, there are some considerations that we need to make. Number one, are we saved? Have we trusted Christ as our Savior? You say, Brother Greg, this is the Sunday morning crowd. Are you really asking that question in a Sunday morning service? Yes, I am. Because there will be many in that day that will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? It doesn't say there will be a few of them. It says there will be a many of them that will say that. There's going to be many folks that are going to be uh, 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 misled by false teachers and false prophets, and they're going to think that they're doing God a favor. They're going to think that they're doing things the way God wants them to do, and they're not going to. Are you saved? I lived in a pastor's home for 13 years lost. When I think about that thought, it scares me to death of what I would have done had something happened to me in those first 13 years. And let me tell you, when I look at my childhood, God had plenty of time to end my life in those first few years. And I wonder often what would have happened. I asked the question this morning, are we saved? Are we saved? Has there been a time in our life that we have taken our hands off of our salvation, quit trying to do it ourselves, quit trying to earn it, quit trying to do enough good and dress nice enough and look nice enough and talk nice enough, and just put our faith and our dependence of our salvation upon Him and say, Lord, if I am to be saved, it is only going to be because you have put your blood and shed your blood 
and covered my sin. And I'm putting my faith in that and that alone. If we do not get to that place in our lives where we trust God and God alone for our salvation, not God in our baptism, not God in our church membership, not God in our Christian service, but God alone. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm not saying this morning that we have license to go out here and live any way we want to once we're, once we're saved. But I am saying this, that if we are depending on cleaning up our vessel to get us saved, we are lost. For it is not by our good deeds. It is not by our works. Look with me in the book of James chapter number 4 quickly. Moving on. James chapter number 4 and verse number 13. In James chapter 4 and verse number 13, James says this, Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow... We will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I shared a, a story uh, several weeks ago of one of the Haitian men in our Haitian ministry in Florida that we had that uh, came to church one Sunday and his car was broken down. He only lived a few blocks down the road. And had walked to church. And when he got done with church that afternoon, I saw him walk out of the parking lot. And uh, we turned to right. He was going to the left. And I found out later that afternoon, our Haitian pastor called me and said, Brother Greg, on the way home, that man was struck by a car and killed instantly. I doubt very seriously that morning when he woke up and got himself ready for church that he was thinking, today's my last day on this earth. And before this day is over, I will be in the presence of my Savior. But that was the truth of the matter. There was not one moment left that he could have spared and said, I'm not ready to go yet, God. I need five more minutes. There was no guarantee. I sell that to say this, are you saved? I've heard people say, well, when I get to a certain point in life, then I'll, then I'll trust Christ. Can I tell you, you don't have that guarantee. You don't have that guarantee. If I was lost today, if I thought I was uh, in a place where I had not put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't walk, I wouldn't think, I wouldn't ponder, I would run to the Lord Jesus Christ and get that matter settled before it's too late because we do not have the guarantee of another moment. Look with me, if you will, in Proverbs chapter number 27. Proverbs chapter number 27 and verse number 1. <clears throat> Proverbs 27, verse number 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I ask you this morning, are you saved? Has there been a moment of time in your life where you have trusted Christ as your Savior? You have made a decision to trust Him and Him alone. I have sat in the homes of church members and heard testimonies given of why they believe they are saved. And I have heard things such as, well, I don't ever remember not being saved. I have heard things like, well, I was raised in a Christian home. We've been in church my whole life. My friend, if either one of those things are what we're expecting to, to take us to heaven, we are lost. I'm not trying to be unkind today. I'm trying to make sure if these are the last days, and I believe they, they are, but even if I'm wrong, if these are the last days, would we not want to make certain of this? 
Would we not want to make sure that, yes, there has been a time in my life that I realized I was lost, I could not save myself, nothing I could do would save me. And the only thing I could do would be to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. To trust Him for my salvation. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation today. By all means, I, I, and I don't know that a Christian who's been saved would ever have any strong doubts. I'm not saying Satan wouldn't cloud our thoughts every once in a while. But I don't think there'd ever be a moment of serious doubt in a Christian's life because when we got saved, God did something inside of us. There was something made new. And I understand, and, and Satan can do that. He can uh, bring doubt into our hearts and our minds, but it ought to be brief and it ought to be fleeting. We ought to have our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. The first thing I have to ask today is, are you saved? Are you saved? With this in light, that we could very well be in the end times. We very well could be just moments away from the sound of the trumpet and the rapture of God's people. Are you saved? I want you to notice, secondly, if you will, turn with me to Luke chapter number 10. And I guess the way I would word this is, are you ready? Are you ready as far as your salvation is concerned? And then I would say this, if you are saved, and you can say, yes, Pastor, I'm ready as far as my salvation is concerned, then I ask this question, are we ready as far as our labor is concerned? Have we done all that we could? To reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me in Luke chapter number 10, if you will. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two and two before His face into every city and place whither He Himself would come. Therefore said He unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are what? They're few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers into His harvest. I will tell you this, I'm convinced the older I get in ministry that the lack of laborers in the harvest is not from the lack of God calling laborers, but from the lack of laborers yielding to the call that God puts on their life. It's amazing to me to see Christians that can go an entire lifetime and never one time share the gospel with somebody. For someone to be saved a number of years and never see an opportunity that God brings before them to share the gospel to that person. I believe many of them are called by the Lord to share and to be a laborer in His field, but we are just not answering the call. Are we ready for the end times? If this is the end times, and I, I, I'll tell you this, if it is, it ought to be a comfort to us. It ought to be a comfort to us unless we're not saved. And then it ought to be a conviction. It ought to be something that pricks our hearts. It ought to be a comfort to us unless we're not serving God the way we should. And then we ought to have conviction. We ought to be broken hearted. Do we truly understand what takes place in a person who does not know Christ as their Savior when they die? Oh, I know we've read the stories. We've read the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and we understand it in, a, in an intellectual sense. But when was the last time we allowed 
the urgency of someone who is lost needing to be saved to stir our hearts with a fervency to reach them with the gospel. When was the last time that we were moved to pray for that person more than just a handful of minutes? When were we moved to the point of saying, I'll even fast. I'll give up things that are in my life and spend it in prayer because this is of utmost importance to me that that person be saved? When was the last time we wrote them a letter or called them on the phone or went by their house and visited with them in person and said, my friend, I just need to share something with you because it's been weighing heavy on my heart. When was the last time? When was the last time we went through our day and we were looking and watching and always aware for the opportunities that God would bring across our path. And by the way, can I tell you this? He will if we'll just watch for Him. To share that gospel with someone who needs to hear. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4 and verse number 34. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me, and to finish His work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I love verse number 34. Jesus saith unto them, My meat, my meat, that which gives me strength, that which sustains me, that which causes me to have energy and to move forward, my meat is to do what? The will of Him that sent me. And He goes straight into the idea, There say not ye, there are yet four months to harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already in the harvest. Two questions this morning. Are you ready? Have you been saved? And question number two, are you ready? Have you been laboring? There are three things we find in verse number 35, and we'll give them to you quickly and we'll be done. He says, lift up your eyes. The first thing we have to do is get our eyes off of ourselves. Many of us live in an egocentric world. We are concerned and consumed with our comfort. And we are all about what is good for me. And the first thing we've got to do is get our eyes off of ourselves. What we have it focused on right now needs to change. We need to lift up our eyes. And then I want you to notice, secondly, we need to look on the fields. Look on the fields. I'm reminded of the story of the Good Samaritan, the man that was beaten and left half dead. The Bible says that a priest came by, and if you'll read the wording of that passage, it says he passed by on the other side. Then comes along a Levite, and the Bible says he looked upon him and passed by on the other side. A little bit different. The priest... Didn't even have time. He's just going on his way. Didn't want to be bothered. Didn't want to be encumbered. The Levite, the priest was apathetic, didn't even care. The Levite, I think, at least had concern for the guy. 
I really do. It says he looked on him, which means he didn't try to avoid him. He didn't try to look and keep on going so his conscience wasn't bothered by it. He looked on him. He saw the man's condition. I believe had concern. And by the way, this is where I believe many, many Christians are today when it comes to the lost. I think we are concerned for the lost. I think we are concerned and we're praying, saying, Lord, help somebody to share the gospel with that person. Just not me. I'm busy. I've got to go on my way. But then comes along the Samaritan, doesn't it? And it says, being moved with compassion. He knelt by the man and he dealt with his need. Because not only was he concerned for the man, but he had compassion on him. We're going to find ourselves, when it comes to our service to God, we're going to find ourselves in one of those three categories. I'm too busy. I don't have time. Or boy, I sure see a big need there. I sure wish God would send somebody to meet that need. Or we're in the category of, Lord, here am I. Send me. I don't know which category you're in. All I know is my heart. And I'll tell you this, I don't like the category I'm in far too often. I think well to have a heart and a desire for it to be, Lord, here am I, send me. You need somebody to share the gospel with that person. I'm right here, God. Give me a chance. Let me do it. But far too often, we get too busy. Two questions this morning. Number one, are you ready? And number two, are you ready? I think with the things that we are seeing daily, both of those questions ought to be on the highest of our list of things that we consider and meditate on every single day. And maybe, just maybe, God will help us to live with eternity in view. And maybe God can use us to win a few people to Him, to share the gospel with some, that maybe if this is His final call, if this is His last wake-up call to America and to this world, we can maybe salvage a few more before we go. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. Lord, the truth is we don't know when the time is. It could be today. It may not be for another thousand years yet. But these two truths I know, I need to make certain that I'm ready. I need to make certain of my salvation. And Lord, if there's someone here today that has struggled with that issue, does not know if they were to die right now, that they would go to heaven, I pray that you would allow them through the convicting of your Holy Spirit to come forward in the invitation time and let us take the Word of God and show them how they can be saved. Father, for the other question is focused more towards those that are saved, and that is, are we serving? Are we ready? Have we been laboring in the harvest? Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be like the priest where we don't have time, not to be like the Levite who even was concerned. But Father, may we be like the Samaritan who was moved with compassion. 
may we say, here am I, send me. Bless the invitation used as you would see fit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we'll have the piano and organ play through a few verses of invitation. If God's spoken to you, would you come today? You're welcome to come pray by yourself, or if you'd like someone to pray with you, we'll be glad to pray with you. If you're here this morning and you're lost, can I plead with you? Don't leave here lost today. Make sure you get that matter settled. May God help us today. Several have come. Perhaps there'd be others. We'll have just another verse or so. We don't want to prolong the invitation, but we don't want to end it early either. So if God's spoken to you, would you come? Fathers, we dismiss in prayer. We do pray that you would bless the messages, the Sunday school hour that we had together. Lord, may we leave here with your word upon our hearts as we meditate upon it throughout this day. May it sink in and not just be something that we hear and quickly forget, but that we will think on it and dwell on it. And then, Father, that your Holy Spirit will help us to apply it to our hearts and our lives. Lord, may we be diligent this week as we look for opportunities, as we're sensitive to the people that you perhaps could bring across our path that we can share the gospel to. I pray that you'd bless it. Lord, bless the food and the time of fellowship together that we'll enjoy downstairs in just a few moments. May you use it for the nourishment of our bodies and that, uh, Father, we can honor and glorify you through the time of fellowship. Thank you for our visitors being here today and those that uh, have not been able to be here in uh, recent months that are able to start coming back now. We're thankful for that privilege. and pray that it's been a help and a blessing. And, Lord, we do pray that you'd help us to honor and glorify you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Dismissed.